This message by Jake Simmons was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Jake serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. This morning we'll be looking at Psalms 42 and 43. So look on with me now as I have the privilege to read God's word to us. And, and may my prayer is that God would open the eyes of our hearts to behold the wondrous, wondrous truth found in his word. Psalm 42. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I Pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again Praise Him, my salvation and my God. We'll pause there. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Amen? Amen. Quick question to begin. Who would you say is the most influential person in your life? How would you answer that good question? It's a good question, and it's a question that I don't think we consider often. And, and I agree with biblical counselor and author Paul Tripp. He said that no one is more influential in our life. No one is influ- more influential in your life than you. You. Here's why. Because no one talks to you more than you do. No one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. Think about it. You are in an unending, incredibly important conversation with yourself every moment of the day. Every moment of the day, you are talking to yourself. Do you realize that? Even social media cannot compete with vying for your attention as you talk to yourself. You interpret, you organize, you analyze, everything that is going on outside of you and inside of you. You talk to yourself about the past. You talk to yourself about the future. You talk to yourself about what you are experiencing presently in this very moment. If we were to stop and consider all the thoughts, all the chatter that we've had, even in just the few hours while we've been awake this morning, it is amazing to consider how often We talk to ourselves. But here is the dangerous part of this. So often, we don't realize how much we're actually talking to ourselves. That's the danger. 
is that when we think about who is the most influential person in our life, our, our thoughts and our answers can go to other people. But in reality, if we look at just pure amount of intel and conversation that takes place, our own selves, our own voice influences us more than anyone else. And what you're saying, the things that you're saying, they shape your desires. The thoughts that you think, the decisions you make, the the words that are communicated, they shape your actions. They shape your theology. They shape the way you understand who God is. This internal conversation has more influence than we can possibly imagine. It has more influence than parents, than our spouse, than pastors, than friends, circumstances, and even at times it has more influence than God and His Word. We influence ourselves greatly, and rarely, rarely do we evaluate the content of this unending conversation, don't we? We rarely evaluate and think about, is what I'm saying to myself and thinking true? Do we stop to do that? Most oftentimes, we do not. There is, there is a direct and inescapable relationship between the content of this internal, unending conversation and the condition of our souls each and every day. They're connected. They matter. And, and the gift that we have in Psalm 42 and 43 is they provide us. God in His kindness has given us this unique opportunity to listen in on an internal conversation going on in the psalmist. We get a window. We get a, a, a window into this internal conversation that we have each and every day. The, the psalmist has kindly and humbly recorded this conversation. It's been preserved for us. And now this morning, what we get to do is we get to study it. And we get to benefit from it. And we get to apply it to our very own lives. And we do this so that we might overhear in his unending conversation, learn from him, and seek to see how he evaluates and what he says to his own soul. So what a gift it is that God has given us Psalm 42 and 43 this morning. It matters that it is in our Bibles. The Lord did not preserve them to merely make us feel better about ourselves, but to provide us, to give us counsel, and to console us, to console our souls, specifically to give us instruction How might we walk through life? How might we walk through circumstances? How might we walk through times when our soul is downcast? When our soul is downcast and in turmoil, depressed? David Pallison says, The Psalms have always been favorites of God's people because they express honest human experience and emotion in the context of faith. In the Psalms, you meet God where you are. Are. And so this morning, the Lord wants to offer us to this morning, in this morning, through this psalm, it is a song of hope. It is a song of hope that we not only get to examine at work in the psalmist's life, but what the Lord is saying to us this morning is that you too can have this type of hope. You too, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of depression, in the midst of turmoil in your soul, you too can have the hope that the psalmist have. 
So if I could capture, if I could say, here, here's, here's what the Lord wants to call us to this morning. Here's what the Lord has to offer to us this morning as we're fighting for joy, as we're fighting against discouragement, as we're facing depression at times. Here's what he would want to say to us this morning. Very simple, but it'll change our lives. He wants us to fight to hope in God. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to fight to hope in God. So we'll walk through each of these stanzas through Psalm 42 and 43. That'll be the structure of the message. Three points. First point, hope for when you long for God's presence. Verses 1 through 6a, what we, what we just read. It becomes evident very quickly as you begin the psalm that the psalmist is deeply troubled in his soul. He's not doing well. He's not doing well. He's troubled. He's longing for God, he uses this vivid picture of thirsting. He uses this imagery of a deer panting for flowing streams. He's wanting these, these beautiful rushing waters to take a drink in, but yet all he sees around him is drought. This, the same word the psalmist used for pants is used in Joel 1, where, where the author writes, even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water book, brooks are dried up. Fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. So this deer is not in some lush forest where this wonderful, strong, powerful, full river is just full of water. No, he is in the desert. All that around him is dry, cracked earth. The water brooks are dried up. It doesn't take long. Even as you think about it, your mouth starts to get dried up. You're just like, I'm thirsty. As you think about just how he's panting. And what he's panting for is the presence of God. Oh, how we would love, how he would have loved to be in the presence of God. So what we find out in verse 3 is that far from finding streams of water, the psalmist has only been feasting on his tears day and night. There is no river, there is no brook for him to, to get refreshment from. The only water that he receives are his own tears, both day and night. There is no break in his tears. They are with him continually. And not only are these tears with him as they stream down his face, what he hears are the accusations of his enemies as they see this, this son of Korah, this, this man who used to lead the people of God in singing and worship at the temple. He's in this desert and they say to him, where is your God? Where is he? But the question the psalmist keeps asking, he's really praying, he's really, he's really praying and desiring the thing that he wants more than anything. It's not just a drink of water, but it's in verse 2. It's in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? That's what he wants. He wants to appear before God. The psalmist and as the psalmist asks this question, it leads him to remember. Remember, he was, he was a, a worship leader of sorts. He would lead singing and praise in the temple. And as he thinks about and yearns for this, I want to stand before the Lord, all that he can think about is that time in the temple where he would lead the singing, where he would, he would worship with the multitudes, where praise would be ringing forth, where he would lead them in these festivals of singing and worship wanting to praise the Lord. 
Yet in the, in, in the midst of this, the psalmist, in the midst of pouring out his soul, which is a strange expression, but what he literally means is his inmost being is being poured out of himself through tears. He, while he's in exile, he's, he's, he's pouring himself out, thinking of this, as he's thinking of the holy city, as he's thinking of the singing going on, all that he feels are the tears on his cheeks. All that he hears are the accusations of where is your God? The psalmist had a deep love for the gathering of God's people, didn't he? He saw it as a place where God uniquely dwelled with his people and where they were uniquely able to worship. So it's good for us. Don't, let's not pass over that too quickly, right? What we experienced this morning is what he so longed for. Yet we experience such a more significant way because with Christ coming and the temple being, the curtain being torn in two, and we have access to God's presence. What we have this morning is what he so longed for. Did you come in this morning ready to worship and sing and celebrate and experience the presence of God? What we do on these mornings, it's not just a mere transaction, but it is enjoying and entering into God's presence himself. So this psalmist, he longed to be in Jerusalem. He longed to be in the temple worshiping the Lord. He passionately desires a renewed experience of this special communion with God. He thirsts. It's a noble desire, isn't it? Sounds like a faithful man. Sounds like a mature, godly man. Here's what we need to face. Here's what we need to consider. Are you aware that it is possible to passionately seek after God? Are you aware that you may, that you can sincerely want to serve and even you can sincerely serve God and yet at times have no sense of the nearness of God? Do you, do you realize that that can happen in your life? That the psalmist here, that he is a godly man, that he is desiring good things, that he is wanting to experience good things, yet he, all that he senses is not the nearness of God, but what he says is he experiences the absence of God. And that is why he can say that his soul is downcast. Why, my soul, are you downcast? This is in turmoil within me. He's downcast. He wants this, and he doesn't have it. Would you be surprised to know that the psalmist is not the only one to deal with this? Many throughout church history and even through scripture, there are examples of, of, of individuals who have dealt with ongoing bouts of just depression and long times of just being downcast in soul. One such example, Martin Luther, he ignited the Protestant Reformation in 1517. He nailed the 95 theses to the Catholic church door in Wittenberg. He would have fits, what his family would describe, fits of depression and melancholy. He would be troubled. He would actually lock himself in his room and would not eat or drink. His wife at one point had the door removed from his room because he would just stay in his room. One morning, in the midst of one of these bouts with depression and discouragement, Luther's wife, Catherine, she came into the kitchen and she was dressed in all black, which was, which was done when you grieve someone's death. And so she walked in, and Luther noticed, and, and he was wondering, like, now, Catherine, what, has, has someone died? Is there, is there a funeral? I wasn't aware of this. And Catherine replied, well, yes, apparently God has died. 
to which Luther took the point, and it affected him. He understood what his wife was trying to communicate. Now, I do not recommend this. I will say you can do that. I will, you know, leave that to your own volition to do. But Luther was familiar with a troubled soul. We sing his, we sing songs that he, a mighty fortress is our God, yet he would lock himself in his room wondering, struggling, downcast in soul, panting after the presence of God, but all he was aware of is that of God's absence. It's in the midst of this remembering that you can sense the spiraling of the psalmist's soul. As he's remembering the temple worship, you can just sense this, this internal conversation. It's just taking him down, down, and down into despair. All that he is hearing is just his enemies and filling his tears and thinking about and remembering what was and now just seeing what is. But then in the moment of all this, the, the, there is a voice that comes in verse 5. It says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Whose voice is this? Who is this that goes from yearning and tears day and night, enemies to going, why are you cast down on my soul? Well, it is the psalmists. And here is the instruction. Here is where we get to benefit from this, what this psalmist has done in his own life. And no one has communicated this better than Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his work, Spiritual Depression. If you've never read that book, I would encourage you to buy it and read it. It will encourage your soul. He, it's a book-length treatment on, the, on this psalm. And this is what he has to say. Here, here is his insight that if we take, if you've never heard, it will change your life, I believe. He says this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday and etc. Somebody is talking to you. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. He's talking of the psalmist. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. There is so much wisdom in that quote. There is so much that you can take, and I encourage you to purchase this book and and benefit from it as you meditate on Psalm 42 and 43. What what I love is Dr. Lloyd-Jones qualifies that most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself. It's not a general statement, but it is true. Most of our unhappiness is due to the fact that what we are doing is we are listening to ourselves. We are listening to all the accusations, we are listening to all the lies, and what we are taking them as is truth. And what we have to do is we have to say, stop and listen, soul. I have something to say to you. 
and what we come with, and, and this is what we want to preach more than anything. And what I love is this is what the psalmist says, is that we can hope in God. What that tells the psalmist is that God is not present right now as you are spiraling down in this internal conversation. You can hope in God, the God of your salvation. You will sing to him. You will praise him again. And so what he is after is he is after preaching to himself, oh soul. And I have to do this every morning. When we are opening God's word, when we, are, when we are praying to God, what we are saying is that we need this. And I need a better word. I need something more than what I'm hearing. And what we preach to ourselves is what God has said. He has given us his book. He has given us his word so that we might know here is what's true. Here is what I can stand on. Here's what I can actually evaluate my life with and know that it is true and that it is right. That I can apply it and it's faith giving. That's why we say all, we say a lot. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. What better news do we need to hear than the gospel? That how much does God love us? God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son into this world to rescue sinners like you and like me. He who did not send his own, spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Listen, soul, remember Christ and him crucified. Remember, soul, who God is and what he's done for you. Remember, soul, that there is nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Soul, listen. We have to preach to ourselves. And this is what the psalmist is offering us. This is what he's offering to you this morning. If you're not a believer and you're here this morning, so glad you're here. And this is what we have to offer you more than anything. This is what, there's only hope in this, is this gospel, is this message. May you turn and hope in God. May you run and have faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The psalm continues, point two. Hope for when the darkness does not lift. Verses 6b through 11. You can look on with me at 6b. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What I love about Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, what I love is that the psalmist does not quit writing after his first refrain. What this shows is that this isn't just some quick fix. That if I just say, hope in God, everything's going to get better now. God can do that and is able to do that. 
But in this moment, what we have is someone who is fighting the fight of faith. What this says is that if you wake up tomorrow morning and you're downcast and you're discouraged and this is how it's been week after week, you can turn into God's word and you can find someone who has been fighting the same fight, who is fighting for the same hope, who, who is looking to trust God, there, who is continuing to wrestle, who is continuing to say, all right, soul, you've got some more things that need to be said to you. The conversation's continuing. It hadn't stopped. So I'm going to have to address you again. I'm going to have to address you again. It should, it should encourage all of us, especially those of you who can feel a sense of just shame and condemnation at times when you're like, okay, I preach this stuff to myself, but it just seems to not work. The psalmist continued to fight. The psalmist continued to say, so, nope, hope in God. You're still talking to yourself. Okay, I need to address you, soul. You need to hope in God. You will praise him again. So let's look at what are these new thoughts? What are these new discouraging things that the psalmist is now wrestling with? The psalmist says that he remembers the Lord from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. It's hard to tell why the psalmist is here, but these places are distant. It's just another refrain. It's another discouraging thought for him. I am not in Jerusalem. It's not just that I'm not in Jerusalem. I'm actually far from Jerusalem, which means I am distant from the place where I can worship God. I I am not near the temple where I can enter into and lead the procession. I am far from the Lord. That's, that's what he's trying to communicate here. All these places, they're distant, not where he wants to be. Instead of being in the presence of God with the people of God, he is in the presence of mountains, and all he hears are taunts and his enemies. They're still there. God seems to be far, but his enemies seem to be close still. Their voices are still the ones he hears. Discouragement, being downcast, depression, it's, it's a stubborn darkness. That's what Ed Welch calls it. It's a stubborn darkness. The psalmist is fighting in the midst of very hard circumstances. He's in very hard circumstances. We don't know why he's here, but he's in hard circumstances. And it's discouraging to him. And his soul is downcast, yet he's wanting to fight to hope in God. He writes deep in verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. This isn't the picture of the Psalm 1, is it? Where we're planted by streams of just flowing water. No, the psalmist, he's saying that there is this waterfall. There are these waves that are just just coming over him. It's just this sense of he's not stable. He doesn't feel stable. He feels this weight of, I'm just being rocked, and these waves keep coming. And, and, and it's just wave after wave. They just keep hitting me. But notice, notice, the psalmist says, whose water, waterfalls? Your waterfalls. He's saying, God, your waterfalls. He's saying, all your breakers and your waves. They, he's not saying these are outside of God's providential control of his life. He's saying they are yours. In times when we're discouraged and downcast, the temptation is to, is to begin to discount God's sovereignty and his providence over our life. But what the psalmist is wanting to tell us right now is, no, 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 no. God is right there. The waves and the waterfalls and all that I'm facing, God's right there with me in it. 
what I love to think about is that this psalm, what it's meant to be, it's meant to be a ballast. It's meant to be a ballast for us. For our, if we're a boat and we're working through life, ballast, what they're meant to do, you fill them up with water. If, if we're boats, and at times you can use them for wakeboarding for waves, but at other times they're meant to add weight and stability to boats that are going through large seas. And if they experience large waves, instead of being rocked to and fro, it brings stability. So this psalm, it's a ballast. It's meant, it's meant to fill us up. It's meant to fill us so that through this life, when we wake up, it gives us stability. It gives us to where we're not tossed to and fro from this internal dialogue that's going on, but we're saying, no, this wave that's about to come, I know where it's from. It's coming toward me, and I'm going to trust him as I go through it. It gives us stability so that we're not, our faith isn't just rocked so that our faith isn't just destroyed from our discouragement. Oh, there's so many of you who have learned this more deeply than I because of the waves that have broken over your lives. You have learned deeply that there's no relief to say that God does not rule the wind and the waves. So there is value to say God rules over them. He's over them. Another historical hero who battled with discouragement, Charles Spurgeon, well-known, respected pastor in the 19th century in London, he battled strong bouts of depression. At the age of 22, he's a pastor of a large church, had twin babies at home. He's preaching, thousands in a hall. Pranksters yelled, fire. Started a panic. Everyone was starting to exit the building, killed seven people, 28 severely injured. His mind was never the same again. Could never shake it, that moment. He also su- suffered from kidney inflammation, gout, rheumatism, neuritis, all this physical pain. He just, it just caused a deep depression upon him. This is what Spurgeon said. It would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand that my trials were never measured out by him, nor sent to me by his arrangement of their weight and quantity. It's a man that is in the midst of his downcast, depressed, wrestling with God. Why do you have me here? He's saying, Lord, but I know each and every wave is from your hand. I can trust you. Listen to this. He he says this, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So yes, he's praying, he is crying, and his tears are day and night, but the psalmist still knows the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song, the Lord's song, is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It's this moment where it's just this... He's thinking about this, and it's just praise to God. Thank you that you are with me, even in the night. Your steadfast love is my song. I can, still, I can still have hope because of this song that you have sent. Your steadfast love. Your love that is not dependent on any circumstance, but you send it to me. It's with me. But look what he says right after this. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? These high thoughts of God's sovereignty and his love and his, and his specific care for him. And this psalmist says, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? 
This is what Alec Motier says about this. He says, faith says, my rock. Experience says, forgotten. You ever experience that? Do you ever wrestle with that? I know, I know, God, you are my rock, but right now it seems like I am forgotten. It seems like you have forgotten me. Everyone else is doing fine. What about me? And here's the temptation when we enter into this downcast and depressed state. Here's the temptation. It, it, it can be like this. What, what they want to do is depression and our downcast, it can be like a boomerang. We just try to send it out, but it always comes back to us. It's always focused on us. It, we're never thinking about who God is, what he's done, what other people are doing. What we're doing is we're just fixated on ourselves. And so what this psalm helps us do is to say that it's okay to say to God, your rock, why have you forgotten me? It is in God's word that it is a matter of faith that you are going to God and saying, God, I know you're my rock, but it feels like I am forgotten. My experience is saying differently than what I know to be true. That is a prayer of faith. That is not a prayer of unbelief. That is a prayer of someone fighting to hope in God. If you've ever thought, oh, I just can't question, I can't just go to God and say, why, oh Lord? That is an untrue thought. This psalm is saying that you can go to God, your rock, and you can say to him, why have you forgotten me? Because the Lord will meet you. The Lord is faithful. He will meet you in that moment. Do not let the enemies of your soul, do not let the enemies of your circumstances, do not let the enemies of our sin, this world, Satan himself, what they would want you to do is to think you are in this place because God is done with you. Where is your God? He's gone. He's not here. What have you done? Oh God, my rock, it, it seems you've forgotten me. But then we come back to verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, he says this, he says, I can exhort myself to believe. I can address my soul as the psalmist did in Psalm 42, 43. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou, believe thou, trust thou. That is the way. And then our feelings, our feelings will look after themselves. Don't worry about them. Talk to yourself. And though the devil will suggest that because you do not feel you are not a Christian. Say, no, I do not feel anything. But whether I feel or not, I believe the scriptures. I believe the Bible. I believe God's word is true. And I will stay my soul on it. I will believe in it, come what may. That is fighting for hope. That is saying, feelings, let me introduce you to faith. 
Feelings, let me introduce you to truth. Circumstances, let me introduce you to the one who controls my life. It's providential over all of my life. This wave that's coming, feelings, you're afraid of it. You're anxious. You're thinking God's forgotten, but it's from his hand. And there's good in store. He's going to use it for your good. Which leads to our last point. Hope while you wait for deliverance. The psalmist ends with a prayer. And, and what I appreciate about how the psalm ends is that this is not a happy ending. The psalmist is continuing to pray for God to vindicate him, to defend his cause against this ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. So he's, he's trying to say, Lord, you're the one I take refuge in. Help me. Vindicate me. But this is not a happy ending. Like, like almost everything in life, it's mixed. It's mixed. His faith really is amazing. His fight is really valiant, but he's still not where he wants to be. I think that matters greatly. His faith is real. He's fighting. He's truly fighting, but he's still not where he wants to be. I think that there's, it's intentional. His hope is looking to the God who he trusts will one day vindicate him who will one day bring deliverance. The psalmist's circumstances has not changed. He's, not, he's still far from home. He's still in exile. He's still faced with the oppression of his enemies. His enemies have been there, but he can still trust in God. I love that this psalm, what it, what it does is that it, it, it blows up this feeling that if I just go to the psalms, I almost have just this, this shot of this God feeling. Everything will get better if I just go here. No, that's not the case. We go here saying that I'm ready to fight to hope in God. I need to be addressed. I need deliverance. I need help. I need God, as he says in verse 3. I need God to send out your light and your truth. I need them to lead me because I'm not being led by them. I'm being led by something else. Mainly my feelings, mainly my circumstances, mainly these downcast dialogue of myself that is causing great despair in my soul. And so we come to Psalm 42, 43, and we say, Lord, I need help. And what he says is, I'm, Lord, you can send out your light and your truth. And what's amazing to think about is that God did send out his light and his truth. He sent his own son, the light of the world, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and what this psalmist longed for, what this deliverance that he hoped for, this presence that he so wanted, we have fully. We've seen in part. We have faith. We have the ability to trust in Jesus, the light of the world, the truth and we can enjoy his presence. That first thing he wanted, oh Lord, when can I appear before you? We have that in Christ. God did send his light and his truth. He has come to rescue us. He has come to say to the downcast, to the depressed, that you, there is a reason for you to hope. There is a reason for you to continue to fight. Your labor is not in vain. So you can pray to me. What I like to think about is the, the, the words of hope is prayer, praying to God, acknowledging our need for God. 
The way that we battle is by praying and using God's word and addressing our soul. So this morning, what the Lord wants us to do is to rivet our attention as we fight this battle on Christ, the light of the world, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life that was sent for us. This is our hope. This is what we must preach to ourselves. This will keep us until that day when our faith will become sight and we will be with the Lord for the dwelling place of God is with man. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just what a gift it is to have your word, to have these two psalms that we can go to your word for, that you haven't just left us to ourselves for this fight of faith, but you have given us words of faith. You have given us yourself, that you have given us your spirit that dwells within us, that empowers us to fight each day. So I pray that as we face our discouragement, as we face depression, as we face these things, that your word would ring louder than our feelings, than our circumstances, than all these things. Help us, I pray, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You've been listening to a message given by Jake Simmons during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.